Hey, welcome. My name is Glenn Lundy. Super excited to be launching our new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Can you believe it? That's right. The Breakfast with Champions podcast has finally arrived. This is your opportunity to get motivation, education, and inspiration every single day. And ultimately, your opportunity to get a seat at the table, to be a fly on the wall, to listen in to some conversations between some of the most amazing superhumans from around the planet. We're talking about people that are doing the things you know you can do, that have reached some of those levels you know you can reach. We've got celebrity interviews with people like Tiffany Haddish and Grant Cardone, Lauren Rittiger. We've got specialists in areas like Capital Ventures, right? Or wealth building, wealth management, real estate, all kinds of incredible conversations. And what's amazing about the Breakfast with Champions podcast is you're going to be able to tune in, listen in. They won't even know you're there, right? It's just like you're, you're, you're listening in on all these incredible secrets of some of the most successful humans from all around the world. You know, when we launched Breakfast with Champions, we had no idea of the power that it was gonna have. We had no idea of the collaborations it would create. We had no idea that we'd be able to connect humans from England and Australia and Saigon and America, of course, all together in one room having powerful conversations that elevate everyone in the experience. Listen, if you like these episodes of Breakfast with Champions, do me a huge favor and let us know. We would greatly appreciate it. We pour into this. You're going to get five to six hours of content every single day, Monday through Friday, five days a week. You can keep coming back. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We'd appreciate it. Drop your comments, share your thoughts and your reviews. It mean the world to us if you would do that. And in exchange, we promise you that we will always create a space, a safe space where you can come. You're not going to get politics here. It's not going to happen. You'll never see any type of division in here. It's actually exactly the opposite. We have a bunch of different people with different belief systems, different upbringing, different backgrounds. We've got people from all different ethnicities all coming together. But the one thing that we share is everyone in this room shares the same heart. And it is a heart to elevate you, to encourage you, to inspire you, and to help you become the absolute best version of yourself that you can possibly be. So if you would, do us a favor, write those reviews, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends. We're going to be here, and we hope that you will be too. Enjoy Breakfast with Champions. You'll see there in the notes that you can skip forward. You can move back. If you need to pause it for a minute, you'll now have that opportunity to do so. We do record these daily on Clubhouse. We have a Breakfast with Champions Club there, or you can follow me, Glenn Lundy, if you'd like to see those rooms, if that's an app that you enjoy. You can always come in and tune in live, or of course, just sit back and enjoy right here on the podcast and anywhere your podcast can be found. It is such an honor and a privilege to be able to spend this time with you. I know that there are a trillion places you could have chose to be. You chose to be right here with us on Breakfast with Champions, and that means the world to me, and I absolutely stinking love you for it. So with that said, we are excited to launch the new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Thanks so much. I am beyond excited today, like literally beyond. So let me just um, give you a little bit of context 
um, of why today is so exciting for me. Um, our guest today, I met um, at a very uh, critical time in my life. Um, I was building a company, uh, many of you know, called Greenworks. I sold Greenworks to Clorox. Um, I was struggling. I was odd. I was different. Um, I was being blasted in the media for things that I was doing to build that company. Um, I built a school in the middle of my company and they, you know, a lot of people were like, why is she doing that? Um, everything that I had was doing to grow my company because I believed it was the right thing for my team was being, uh, said in the media was that's because she's a female CEO. That's because she's a female CEO. Because at that time there wasn't a lot of women running a hundred million dollars business. And I was feeling really, really, really conflicted about what I thought I needed to do versus what everybody around me was telling me I needed to do because that is the way it was done. And a, a forum buddy of mine gave me a book called The Rebel Rules, Daring to Be Yourself in Business. That book was written by Chip and it sparked something in me um, that changed the way I showed up as a CEO. He went on to write uh, a book called Peak, um, How Great Companies Get Their Mojo from Maslow. That was the gateway for me to realize that anything that I wanted to do outside of myself or in my business needed to start within. Now, that has been a challenge of a journey. Um, so let me, if you don't know who Chip is, I am telling you right now, this next hour is going to be an enlightenment that you have not had before. So just hang on tight and put your uh, big girl, big boy pants on. So after his selling his company um, at 26, which was uh, Schwa de Vive Hotel, uh, Hotelier, no, hospitality, hospitality, sorry, I'll learn how to speak. Uh, Schwa de Vive uh, uh, Hospitality, he took, he could have just retired, right? He could have just said, that, you know, it was a, it was a, I was on the West coast at the time. I mean, everybody knew who Schwadwee was. He could have just retired. He did it. Uh, the founders of Airbnb came calling. Um, and he then leaned in to take the founders of Airbnb at the time, which was a, was a fast growing, uh, tech startup, um, uh, and help them build it into a global hospitality brand. Now, I don't think there's anybody here who does not know who Airbnb is. Um, Chip Conley's not only a New York best time seller, um, his whole manifesto on ageism, which is his new work, which we are going to dive into, Wisdom at Work, uh, The Making of a Modern Elder, elder um, is beyond fascinating to me because, again, this is where I'm at in my life now today. So he still serves as Airbnb's head of global hospitality and strategy. Um, he's still the mentor to Brian, the CEO of Airbnb. And he continues to be a strategic advisor um, in company and leadership, but he's also now leaned into, uh, he's got a three acre oceanfront campus, which is the very first, world's first midlife wisdom school, which is in Baja, California. So Chip, first of all, I wanna say thank you, beyond thank you. And I'd like to introduce you to some of my trainers. So I have both Randall Jones, Randy Jones on his stage here with me. And I also have Sean James with me, two of my amazing teammates that I just am so excited for you to meet. But Chip, I will honestly say from the sincerest part of my heart, every time I want to quit, every time I say, I just cannot do this, 
I look at you. I look at your Instagram. I find your book. I find your work. And somehow you rebuild something in me that allows me to go to the next level. And so, sir, thank you. Wow. Uh, well, Amelia, it's, it, is, it is an honor to join you this morning, very early in the morning uh, um, out, out west. Um, and I only, I'm only up this early for you because I love you. <laughs> and that, and that there's nothing, you know, uh, Michelle and Brian were talking about this uh, uh, during their segment. You know, when you build real relationships that hold the amount of power that you hold for me and you surround yourself with those people, you can actually do anything. You can't do it on your own, but when you create that type of energy circle, you absolutely can, but you've got to pick them wisely. And I am so excited about what you're doing now today. I, I want to mm. scream. Uh, yesterday was my birthday. I turned 55. Um, mm. I, I was, uh, and, and Sean and, and Randy will, will tell you, um, my, our endeavor, we're getting ready to take our company public. And I mm -hmm. was given an offer to just, you know, take the check and go <laughs> kind of thing. And I, I struggled. I was like, maybe, maybe I just go away. You know, maybe I'm done. You know, maybe, I don't know. I eat bonbons and I, I sit on a beach or something. Right. And <laughs> diving into your work now, I'm like, I, I don't think I'm finished. I think, I think I just started. Um, and so again, you always are like an angel from above. You always come at this most incredible time that somehow you're connected to like my inner spirit guide that tells me, don't stop, keep going. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I think that kind of spirit has been essential especially for anybody in the hospitality industry for the last year and a half with COVID. And my belief is that resilience alone isn't enough because resilient and truly resilience is important. Let's start with that. Resilience is essential, having the grit, having the passion, but resilience is like white knuckling it. And if you can white knuckle it for a while, spectacular because resilience buys you time and adaptability buys you a future. And that is my premise and i can say that you know airbnb is you know prime one you know numero uno as an example because if you don't adapt to the changing times the resilience just has you white knuckling it for a long long time i was going to say long effing time but i'm just going to say long time and um you know i have you know i basically created three businesses over the course of my um 35 year hospitality career and Every single one of them has had its, you know, its dark night of the soul. And so you have to have the resilience to get through it, but you better be smart or maybe even wise enough to see how you have to adapt to new conditions. And I don't think anybody's ever said that to me because I am probably the most, I have bounce factor that, you know, I could charge you for. Like, it's unbelievable how many times fall down, get up, fall down, get up, push through, push through, push through, right? I've harnessed that skill um, and probably to a fault, I've uh, instilled it in my executive's team. We call it our genius circle. But I've never heard it articulated the way you just said to say there's more than just the resilience part of it. And I will say that a lot of our listeners here hear this all day long, resilience, resilience, push through, push through, push through. And so there's another side of this that you're touching on that is new to my brain. 
Well, let's, yeah, and let's, let's talk about it. Um, so in the case of Airbnb, <clears throat> and I'm actually not, no longer head of global assets without in strategy. I, I moved into the strategic advisor role. So I don't have two, thankfully, I don't, I'm not doing two things there at once, but I, I continue to advise the founders. And, and I really will say that what a, what a, what an honor it was nine years ago to join them when it was a little tech startup that was growing fast, but you know, it was by no means a mainstream company. And, um, and today Airbnb is worth more than uh, Marriott, Hilton, Hyatt, and Four Seasons combined, which is crazy. But the, the Airbnb story of the last year and a half was, okay, the whole travel industry was getting pummeled because of COVID. Uh, Airbnb had to, um, had to let go of 25% of their employees, uh, I'm say our employees, 25% of our employees, as well as every single contract, every single consultant around the world that was doing work for Airbnb. Um, and that was, okay, that was what you had to be resilient. It was like you had to get leaner. But then the key was to really look at what consumers or customers were looking for. And um, yes, for the first few months, everybody was in lockdown and uh, there was no travel going on. But there was actually some travel going on. People started to say, man, if I'm going to be in lockdown, I want to be in lockdown in a place where it's beautiful. I don't want to be in my, you know, 500 square foot apartment in in Brooklyn. I actually want to be somewhere else, right? My rent somewhere else is going to actually go a lot further and I've got nature. And so what happened is you had this, the, the starting of a, the birth of the digital nomad going mainstream. And you had a lot of people saying, I'm going to get rid of my home or my apartment and I'm going to go live somewhere else. And, you know, I'm going to be on a sojourn. And, and that's what happened. And so Airbnb adapted its product, the product that actually people use the software application in such a way that it helps you to discover the kind of place a digital nomad is going to want to be. And by the summertime, Airbnb was starting to show numbers that were as good as a year earlier pre-COVID. Now, the hotel industry, and I, w- I will say I still own nine hotels, so I, I, I wear two hats here as you know, one of the uh, leading Airbnb you know, shareholders uh, slash leaders, as well as, you know, being a hotelier, the hotel industry still has not actually recovered in urban markets, not even close. Um, So Airbnb adapted its product. And I will say technology allows you to do that so much better than say bricks and mortar real estate, which is what most of the hotel industry is based upon. So, you know, just keep that in mind. It is not just about resilience. The adaptability piece is where the ingenuity comes in. So why now, like, I, you know, I'm, I was, at, I've been at this crossroads, you know, and it seems to be like every, every year around my birthday, I go into very deep uh, <laughs> rituals and practices, right? About what worked, what didn't work. What do I like about myself? What don't I like about myself? What about the people around me? You know, are they at the standard, right? Minimal viable standard uh, of where I'm going and what I need. I cut a lot of people out of my life right around this time. They get that kind of that letter, that email going, it's not working, but thanks so much. Um, So this is, I do a lot of stuff here in these last couple of weeks and I had to really kind of go, okay, when, when is it transformation and when is it just, okay, Oh, I'm just tired. <laughs> you know, just, I don't know if I'm, you know, fight this fight anymore. You know, another person who, you know, I know I can help and they're talking and you're like, oh, okay, you just can't even understand what I'm saying about what I'm trying. I'm trying to tell you something to help you and you're not listening. 
Um, why did you get the calling? What part of you came, leaned into saying wisdom at work? This creating this this amazing play. Where what what happened inside yeah. of you? If I could just ask. Yeah, sure. So when I joined Airbnb, um, uh, the, it was I I really didn't think about it much. Brian Chesky, the found one of the founders and the CEO, came to me and said, "Listen, I want you to come and join us. I want you to be my in-house mentor, which I still am, and I I want you to be in, head of global hospitality and strategy." Um, and so I showed up for the first, and I said, "Sure." I was really in, impressed with Brian. So he was 31. I was 52 at that time. So this is nine years ago. And he, he is, uh, a so great guy. He, he really is. I mean, he, he has that, that, uh, yeah, like he walks in a room, you know, he's there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's funny because he's Brian is, um, you know, back then he was lesser known than say Adam Newman or Travis Connick, both of whom lost their jobs because they could have used a modern elder by their side. Um, but bottom line is Brian, invited me in. I, I joined, I gave a speech there first to get to know the company a little bit. And then I joined and then I realized, oh my God, I'm, tw I'm twice the age of the average person here, which was true. The average age was 26, I was 52. Within a month, they started calling me the modern elder. And I didn't, I didn't like that at first <laughs> until Joe Gebbia, one of the other co-founders said, Chip, a modern elder is as curious as they are wise. And I was like, okay, I'll take that. I, I'm curious. I, I hope I'm wise. Ooh, and that's story, good though. That is really, yeah. that's a tweet right there, right? Because it, it, that's another yeah. secret sauce, right? That you write about curiosity. You've got to keep that alive if you want to continue well, to grow. And so that's a perfect tweet. Curiosity opens up possibilities. Wisdom distills down what's important or essential. And that's critical because if you can actually have curiosity and wisdom and know you're the alchemist, when do I need a little more curiosity right now? Or when do I need a little more wisdom? Um, you can be a modern elder. And so I, <clears throat> I enjoyed the, okay, the, the role of being the modern elder there. And, and Brian was my boss. Brian was 31, I was 52, but I was, I was his mentor. That was curious. <laughs> you know, what's it like to have a boss 21 years younger than you who you're mentoring? <laughs> that was interesting. Um, but we had a great relationship and we still do. Um, so to answer your question, after four years of helping to guide the company and helping the, with the founders, I said, listen, I no longer want to be a full-time employee. I want to move into just an advisor role. And I did. And that gave me time to come down here to Baja, about an hour north of Cabo San Lucas <clears throat> in the Todos Santos Pescadero area, where I had a home on the beach. And I started writing Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. While I was here... Uh, I went for a run on the beach and I had a Baja aha, an epiphany. My epiphany was, why is it that we don't have schools or tools or rites of passage or rituals or anything to help people in midlife figure out what's next for them? So you were just, you, you were 54 a moment ago, a couple of weeks ago, Amelia, and now you're 55. The average age of the people who come to the Modern Elder Academy, we've had 1,500 from 28 countries now. The average age is 54. Now, here's the interesting thing about 54. If you're going to live till 90 and your chances, Amelia, if you're at 55 now, the chances that you as a, as a, a Caucasian, uh, you know, relatively well-off person in the United States of living till age 90 are about 50, 50. Um, uh, and so if you live till 90, you have as much adulthood behind you 
as you do have ahead of you. You're halfway through your adulthood because 18 to 90, the, the midway point is 54. Most of us don't think that way. Most of us don't actually ask ourselves, what do I want? How do I want to repurpose myself? Or how do I want to distill my wisdom? Um, or how do I want to go out and live a life that's as deep and meaningful as it is long? And that's what we do. And it's been amazing. I love it because what I see on a weekly basis is just these success stories of people who choose to do what I call same seed, different soil. They have the seed they have, their wisdom is inside of them, but often it's time to actually repot themselves and offer that wisdom in a different habitat, similar to what I did, was lucky enough to do at Airbnb. Oh, that's that. That is a, a great way to like to. I like. I didn't think about it in in that context at all. I, you know, I've been sitting with myself and um, you know, the people that are part of Genius Key and saying, you know, this is going to be the biggest work I have ever done, and literally the biggest work I've ever done. And I've I've done some things, and it's been an internal struggle, not external. All the all the external things are tactics that I could do in my sleep. I don't even break a sweat. Um, it's the internal work that I have found so interesting of what's kicking up for me as we lean into where we're going and, and what it means and the, and the big, the big pivot, right? Cause I'm always in paradigm changes, right? So people love me and hate me in the same breath. Um, and so I love that there is now a, because of you, a place where people like me are gathering to hone in on what I call your inner genius and then how to replant that. I find that absolutely uh, fascinating. So Randy, um, I'm going to call you into this conversation because this is also um, so much work around uh, the Jones show. Like you have interviewed icons, right? Who are at the same thing asking in themselves, you know, what do we do next? Where do we add the most value? How do we serve? Because I think as we get older, our service heart gets bigger. Like I want to help more now than I've ever wanted to in my entire life. And I can see it from miles away to go. Um, I mean, Marcus Black, somebody here that a lot of people here know Marcus Black. I sat down with him and I said, oh my God, I love you. But let me just, can I just share some information with you? Because if you don't know these two or three things, they're going to slap you so hard. It's going to knock you off, you know, because I can see the steps that are missing. Um, Randy, are you there? Oh, I am here. And you know, this is my topic. <laughs> How cool is it that Chip created oh. a home for us? Like I'm going to Baja, I'm booking a ticket now. No, no, no. I, I, I say so much. Part of Jones Touchdown's platform is you're never too old to create. You're never too old to make a contribution. I just turned 59. I live in Naples, Florida. So on one in one way, I'm young here, and I'm still young here. I got here 12 years ago. But let me tell you that first time, the first few times you actually experience ageism. You don't notice it. And then all of a sudden you realize, wow, I think I just got dismissed because I'm 55, because I'm 56, because I'm 57, because I'm 58. And I am in that process right now because I don't get that. I mean, you know my show. I had Norman Lear at 97 years old on my show, who created All in the Family. My friend Sal Buscema is a cartoonist from Marvel Comics. He's in his mid-80s. He has literally illustrated every single character in the Marvel Universe for Marvel Comics. The last I knew, the man was still working. 
and I've and I've always thought like this. So that's why I was kind of I was gushing yeah, to Chip, Chip online well, about how I there. love his work. I love what he's doing. Well, well let, 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 and Randy, I it, I would love to meet you someday. So I uh, I look forward to connecting. So a couple of thoughts on what you said, Amelia. I, number one is um, I'm a big fan of. Uh, two thought leaders. One is Carl Jung, the famous psychologist. The other one is the Christian mystic Richard Rohr, who's based in New Mexico. And he's just become a great friend because we're actually opening a campus in Santa Fe, New Mexico, or actually two campuses there as well, as well as the one in Baja. And so um, they both said something quite similar, which is the first half of your life, the operating system is your ego. And that's because it's the way you individuate from your parents. It's the way you start to make sense of who you are in the world. It's your sense of identity and personality, et cetera. And it's around midlife that the operating system that defines how you see the world shifts from your ego to your soul. The problem we have as a society is we do nothing to warn you of the shift of your operating system. <laughs> and usually what it is, is it's circumstances beyond your control and stuff going on in your life that rocks you or gives you the pain to start to see this. You know, I have, I spent most of my life <clears throat> being a can-do-it person. We, in fact, what we learned in my company, Joie de Vivre, that I ran for 24 years as the CEO, um, it, and became the second largest boutique hotelier in the U.S. All, with all of our hotels in California. What I relearned from that process was that the number one quality that our customers wanted from our employees was a can-do attitude. So that's something that we really trained and helped our employees to just you know find in themselves. And one of my <clears throat> favorite things to do was to give out a book, a famous children's book, the little engine that can that could. It's about you know the little engine that made it up the the mountain and then you know and made it to the other side and. So can do, I've been a can do it person my whole life. I have come to learn in my fifties and now my sixties, I've moved from can do it to conduit. And conduit basically means you are a channel for, for great energy and you're a channel for helping other people. You are, it's not so much your own stick to it uh, It is now you helping to be a channel and conduit for other people to live their dreams. And so that, you know, that's how I try to live my life today. And MEA, the Modern Elder Academy, is just an extension of that. It's also an extension of something I call karmic capitalism. What goes around comes around. And uh, if, you, if you put good energy out into the world, especially creating a great culture for a company where your employees love to come into work, the customers feel it, you grow a market share, you lead leads to a sustained profitability, and then you can invest back in the culture, and so it becomes a virtuous circle. I I, I love I love that I, I I just I really do, and and I think that is definitely where my brain is right now is is in that shift. Um, between these two phases. So, so again, I'm just like, I think for the rest of my life until somebody throws dirt on me, I'm just going to be thanking you profusely for my soul because you're always right ahead of me and seem to have already located the answers of where my inner struggle always is. And that's just, it's amazing to have that. And you're just really, really, really a gift. And I think that there's a lot of us here um, on Breakfast with Champions because we've had success 
in our industry, you know, with our genius, with our gift, we've had success. Um, and then it begs these bigger questions, you know, there's these bigger questions on where are we going to be the most impactful in the next second part of our life? Um, and what does that lane look like? For me, I definitely will say that I have been um, having a lot of interesting conversations with my own ego, right? Um, you know, Sean is here. Sean and I have been friends since time began. Um, and we've had these conversations where I say over and over again, this is no longer about me. This has this, you know, my other company, I sold that company. That company's long gone. The me company is gone. And, and this is really about the work. I want to be known for the work. I don't care if anybody knows who I am. I want them to understand the work. Um, tell me more, how do we get involved? How do, how do we get involved? How, wh how, how do we do that? What's, what, who's your client? How do we get there? You know, I'm, well, I'm not kidding. I'm coming. I'm, I don't care. New okay, Mexico, no. Baja. Yeah. Well, okay. I'll give you some background. So we got, there's three ways to play with modern elder Academy. You can come to a workshop and those start up again, November 28th. We have a, a ton of great guest faculty, everybody from Michael Franti, the musician to, um, oh my gosh, who else? Uh, Mark Nepo, famous poet, uh, Matthew Ricard, the you know best known Buddhist monk in the world, potentially. Uh, Oh, Barbara Waxman, who uh, uh, coined the term middle essence. Uh, we have adolescence, hormonal changes in, in, uh, in, in our teen years, and we have middle essence in our midlife years. So uh, you can do workshops. You can also do sabbatical sessions, which we're doing right now. Um, with sabbatical sessions, people come for an extended stay that is much lighter programming. Uh, you still get your three amazing meals on the beach every day. Uh, and that's less, a little bit less expensive than the workshops. And then the final thing is MEA online. And we just started last weekend, uh, an eight week course, uh, but you could you know, always sign up for that. Those are the three main ways people play with us. We will have a campus in uh, two campuses in New Mexico starting in 2023. We're in the process of designing them, uh, but just bought a 2,600 acre ranch uh, next, almost next door to Tom Ford's ranch um, and just outside of Santa Fe and that, That'll be exciting, but we're not doing that yet. And then we also have re our regenerative communities where who wants to live in a retirement community? Come on. <laughs> That's for our parents or our grandparents. But for us, we would like to live in a regenerative community where instead of you li living on a fairway, you live on a farm, a regenerative farm, and uh, you have a collection of programs that help you to just constantly be regenerating yourself. So it's, it's my next disruption. I've been lucky enough to disrupt the hospitality industry twice as one of the first boutique hoteliers in the U.S., and then with Airbnb. And then my next, next disruption is the idea of um, regenerative communities instead of retirement communities. So uh, if, you, if somebody wants to just sort of understand how to stay in touch with me daily, I have a daily blog called Wisdom Well. If you just put Chip Conley Wisdom Well in Google, it'll take you right there. It's free, a free uh, daily blog on the topic of wisdom and aging. And I, I am also reading that you are teaching something called the psychology of presence. Is that true? That's one of the classes that I teach. Yeah. It's um, so, you know, the workshops have themes. And so that is definitely one of the ones that you know, presence is a fascinating thing. We, we, we do a lot of our uh, workshops in nature here because we're right on a beach, right in farmland, tropical. I mean, it's just desert. It's so gorgeous here. And um Imagine stacking a rock. Uh, let's talk about presence for a moment. 
in the process, you know, you've seen rock balancing, which is like to balance as many rocks as possible. But I'm just talking about rock, rock stancing or rock balancing of uh, a singular rock. Um, if you actually take a rock that's maybe vertical and you try to make it stand up on another rock and you just sort of place it there, it'll fall down. But if you do what we call mentoring stones, uh, if you actually take that little rock, that vertical rock, and you start to move it around, you can start and you listen to it. You have presence to listen to the rock. Um, at some point, you're going to hear a click. And what the, click, what the rock has done is it's actually created a little divot in the bottom so that it actually can stand up. And when you hear the click, you take your hands away and voila, that vertical rock that looked like it could never stand up on the rock below it is standing up. And that is an alternative way to look at or a metaphor around a mentorship. Um, and to mentor someone means having presence, seeing their progress, listening for the click, taking your hands away and then saying, yeah, you, you know how to do this. Um, and from my experience, I was able to mentor over a hundred people at Airbnb over nine years now. And, um, you know, in every one of those cases, I, I and I, they were all, every single time it was someone younger than me, but I felt like we mutually mentored each other because mentorship is not just top down from old to young. I mean, there's, I learned Brian and I, I Brian Chesky and I had, a, a, we laughed about the fact that we had an EQ for DQ transfer. I offered Brian a little bit of emotional intelligence, EQ, especially around leadership. And he offered me oodles of DQ, not Dairy Queen, but digital intelligence. Because quite frankly, when I joined that company, I'd never worked in a tech company before. And I, had, I was just a dunce when it came to digital. Uh, so finding relationships where you can have a mutual mentorship where that person knows something that you want to learn and you have something they want to learn, that's a beautiful uh, symbiotic relationship. Kip, can I, Amelia, can I jump in on this real quick? Because this is the first thing I wrote down, Chip. You actually used the word mentor uh, yes, when describing mentor. your book, part mentor, part intern. I have to reemphasize that and thank you for talking about this. I've seen this absolutely. Once again, Naples, Florida, lots of people think they know everything down here. <laughs> if you're not willing to, if you're not willing to be the intern, if you're not willing to learn, if you think, hey, I know everything, you're going to listen to me, I'm going to tell you how to do it, do it this way, it's my way or the highway, you're going to get, you're done. If you're not yeah. willing to be the student as well as the teacher, you're going to alienate the people you most want to reach. And I've seen it. I've seen it yeah. here time and time again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, two, two quick thoughts on that, Randy. Um, number one is... Um, Curiosity, the, the process of being curious allows you to be open to new experiences. And curiosity and, op and being open to new experiences are two of the most directly correlative uh, qualities with longevity. So you tend to live longer if you're curious and you're open to new experiences, just you know, all other uh, factors being uh, equal. Secondly, uh, I learned about this very closely when I was studied Peter Drucker. Peter Drucker died a few years ago at age 95. Now, Peter Drucker was famous as the person who created, basically said management and business can be a science and it can be something you teach. And so he created management theory. And um, you know, this is a man who wrote 40 books, but he wrote two thirds of those 40 books after the age of 65. Um, every single year, actually every two years, 
he would actually come up with a topic that had nothing to do with being a business school professor that he was fascinated by. It might be Japanese Ikebana flower arranging, or it might be medieval war strategies. And he'd spend the next two years becoming one of the world's leading experts on that topic. So he started as an intern and then he became a mentor. So mentor means mentor and intern together. So if this man who's brilliant can be somebody who actually was constantly curious and willing to become a beginner again over and over again, why can't I do the same? I'm totally there. I've lived it. Sean, hop on here. Chip, pleasure to meet you. Um, hey, I, Sean. Um, uh, I, I'm, I just read some of the things that you've done, and obviously, um, I was prepped yesterday by Amelia. And by the way, Amelia, happy birthday. Um, and hello Thank to everyone you. in the room. Good morning. Chip, thanks for getting up at 5 a.m., man. I I've, I've, I have a lot of good friends on the uh, West Coast, and a lot of them, I'm going to use your, your, your uh, I love Amelia. That's the only reason why I'm on this call, to get them on. Uh, because a lot of them won't get on because it's too early. But um, I wanted to say this because it's it's uh, extremely important that when I had this experience, it, it ties into everything that you said about curiosity and wisdom. I was on uh, a trip to the Cayman Islands for work, and I stayed at a Kipton. It was a brand new hotel maybe three years ago. And I go to the pool a day before our meeting starts, and this young uh, African-American guy comes up to me and he was an American and he introduced himself. He goes, Hey, my name is so-and-so I'm the manager here. Um, glad that you're here. Long story short, that happened in my room and he came to fix it. As he was leaving, he turned around and said, Hey, I'm going to go up there. And I wonder why you Sean, you're in the matrix. Sean, you're in the matrix. Oh, I don't know if it's just me, but I, I can't hear what you're saying. Yeah, same, same. So, sorry. Better, better now. Is it any? Is any better? Yeah, it's yeah, better. It's we knew that you were at the pool hanging out. <laughs> okay, so I'm sorry about that. So, long story short, um, he, he this curiosity of him wanting to know who I was and wanted to buy me lunch. He was 25 years old, so we started to talk. And I said, so how did you get here? I go, he goes, well, I just graduated from college. I go, where'd you go to school? He goes, I went to Penn. So I was like, why is a Ivy League kid at Penn graduating, coming here, working as lower management at the Kimpton Hotel? So he turned around and he looked at me and he said, you know, all my friends got jobs at Wall Street and they all went into finance. But what I learned through my father was hospitality is the ultimate business. And I said, well, why do you say that? He goes, it covers food and beverage, restaurants, customer service, and running a business. And I wanted to learn all four of those things and travel the world my first four years before I decided to dedicate myself to being in Wall Street or what I wanted to do. And I remember thinking at that time, I was probably around 48 years old. I'm 52 today. I, was said, I said to myself, that was one of the most interesting things I've ever heard in the sense of what hospitality is and how hotels from from all perspectives are four different types of businesses running at once. My second thing to you that I'd love to ask you about is, mm -hmm. do you see culture change through different countries based around hospitality? 
Like, I know you live in California. It says that you're from Orange County. Is Orange County to you, because I believe this, and I want to get your take on it, is Orange County a different type of hospitality than New York City? Vice versa, (laughs) if we're in Italy or Greece. And the third thing i like to ask you about is I'm a philanthropist, and I saw that you've done a lot of stuff for inner city kids. When I think of the Stanford graduate professor teaching wealthy people on the West Coast, because that's the perception when you read your profile, why would someone like you want to help inner city kids? Okay. Well, there's a, that's, a, that's quite a helping there, Sean. Um, <laughs> first one, hospitality. Um, you know, my, one of my good friends is Danny Meyer, famous restaurateur, and we both have the same perspective, which is uh, hospitality. The beautiful thing about this industry is, uh, number one, it, it teaches you about humans, including yourself. And the better you are at treating humans, the more likely you will be successful. I love that. I'm not a litigation attorney, you know, basically beating people up for a living. And does that make me a better person as a result? Probably not. But actually in the hospitality industry, I become a better person as a result of doing my job. Uh, And that's what I think the uh, 25-year-old was in some ways telling you as well. Secondly, um, yeah, I grew up, I was born in Orange County. Um, I grew up in Long Beach. Uh, and I, my company was headquartered in San Francisco. Hospitality, there's, there's some commonalities around the world, and it's all about being anticipatory in terms of understanding the needs of other people, for sure. That's what it's about. But it, the, the flavor of it can change, absolutely, depending upon where you are in the world. And um, I would just say that, you know, I did a little study a few years ago where I, said, I, I tried to actually say, what are the 10 top hospitality countries in the world, cultures in the world. So like, for example, Bali, if you go to Bali uh, in Indonesia, there's a type of hospitality you experience there that is just, it's all about basically, there's a generosity of spirit that's there. There's an Irish hospitality, if you go to Ireland, that's very different than that. It, It is still gracious, but it's very like homespun. And it's not, it is, you know, no one's putting a little, you know, um, offering at your door each morning of a plumeria plant and some rice. No, instead, you're just having probably a bed and breakfast innkeeper talking your ear off in a beautiful way (laughs) about why they love their little part of Ireland. And so, yes, I I think hospitality varies around the world. There are some cultures that are spectacular at it. Um, You know, Morocco is is one of my favorite places in the world because I think the French meets Arabic, you know, influence of uh, hospitality is beautiful there. Um, okay, third question, inner city. They called me Curious White Boy uh, in my high school. I went to Long Beach Poly High School, LBC. Uh, you know Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg's 10 years younger than me. And guess what? We went to the same high school. I went to an inner city high school that where I was a minority as a white guy. And I love that because I think the world could use the following. Well, let's say the US world could use the following, which is we should have a be the other day. And the be the other day would mean whatever, if you're in the dominant paradigm, whatever your dominant paradigm is, you know, in terms of your demographic, you are going to be in a, you're going to be the other for that particular day of the year. So you can feel like what it, what, what it feels like to actually be the other, because a lot of people don't know what that feels like and they don't understand what comes with being the other. 
And so for me, having grown up uh, and gone to school in junior high school and high school in the inner city, uh, and then being lucky enough to go to Stanford and play water polo there. And uh, I, I lived a very, you know, privileged life on some level. And so when I, my first hotel that I bought at age 26 was in the inner city of San Francisco in the Tenderloin, um, I decided I wanted to give back. And I, because I knew what that was like, I ended up having a foster son, an African-American foster son uh, who lived, you know, two blocks away from my hotel. Um, and he's 45 years old now. Um, and so his son has, a, has a, a son. And so I have a great grandson at age 60, turning 61 later this month. So uh, to me, uh, giving back, um, especially to people who have less access um, than what I was able to have by going to Stanford and going to Stanford Business School um, is, you know, core to who I am and my, my personal foundation you know, does a lot of, um, gives a lot of money to, to people um, who are from less fortunate uh, circumstances. And also MEA, you know, over half of our people who have come to MEA in Baja have been on some form of scholarship. Uh, because we, we, when you have a cohort of 20 people, I don't want it just to be CEOs or just, just to be, you know, lawyers or doctors. I want, I want, a, I want an elementary school teacher in that group. I want a fireman. Um, I want a union plumber um, who's actually sitting at the table uh, or sitting, you know, in the circle uh, because wisdom is not taught, it's shared. Wisdom is not taught, it is shared. And when you create the crucible for a collection of people to share their wisdom, with deep uh, penetrating questions, which is what our program is all about, man, the kind of conversations you have with that diversity is like nothing you're used to. Thank you, John. Thank Thank you for the insight, Chip. And I think what you said there is really, really powerful, so I don't want to skip over it, um, about putting yourself in the opposite paradigm, right? You know, I, uh, uh, Heather Thompson from the Real Housewives here in New York is, is one of my friends, and we took 18 women to climb Kilimanjaro um, in Arusha, Africa, um, to do exactly that, right? To, to put us around a uh, experience where we were the minority, um, to, to be able to walk and really, you know, like you're saying, you know, you know, wisdom is something shared. And, you know, when it's experienced on a deep level, it opens up your ability to have a way to lean into somebody else's perspective. And I think that's so, so, so important. You know, um, I try to keep my management team um, in those different types of experiences with different companies on how they're run for different management styles to different, you know, personal growth development so that they're constantly bombarded with new information to grow. Um, but I think you hit something on the head. You know, I think if, if our school systems allowed for swapping, right, to be able to figure out what it is like to walk those hallways, we would have a very different connection in our communities than we do today because we're so isolated. No, no doubt about it. Yeah, I, 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 that is what's missing in America today. Um, I'd like to open up to questions. First of all, um, we are uh, your current book, um, Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. Um, we are giving away 10 of those copies. So if you, again, if you would like to just click on my face, go through through my Instagram, uh, uh, just DM me the word chip. 
Uh, and we will send the first 10 people out the copy of your book. I'm so excited about that. Um, and Chip, also, if you want to follow me here, this way you and I can stay connected here on Clubhouse. But I'd like to open it up uh, to the stage for other questions. So if anybody wants to chime in to speak to Chip, please do. First, I want to make sure I heard Sean right earlier. Did he say it was your birthday, Miss Amelia? Yesterday. Yep. Yesterday was my birthday. Yep. Yesterday. Oh, I missed it. Amelia. Well, There's no so such sorry. thing as missing. You're always right on time, Mr. Glenn. <laughs> well, then I'll be the last person to wish you a happy birthday, Amelia. <laughs> and, Means uh, everything. Means everything. Means, And yes. I wanted Chip to be my birthday guest so badly, right? Because he's had <laughs> such an impact. So Glenn uh, is our founder uh, and fearless leader of Breakfast of Champions. So Glenn, please meet Chip. Yeah, so, you know, again, thank you, Amelia, for always uh, curating these spaces and bringing us these incredible people from across the apps. I'm following uh, Chip right there as we speak. Um, but Chip, I just, I, I really love the conversation about wisdom being shared and the value of having everybody, you know, in the room and, and, and mm -hmm. at the table and how important it is to know and understand that if you're not constantly evolving, learning, and growing, then you're 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 getting yourself out of the game. Really, is what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You're you're literally benching yourself if you think you are above or can't learn from those that might be in different positions that you are. So I just think that's very valuable uh, wisdom to be shared. And so, Chip, how do we? How do, how do we avoid, as we climb the uh, ladder to success, per se, the proverbial ladder, as, as we climb that, how do we keep from feeling that way? You know, sometimes I personally, I feel like I have to get in rooms with those that are doing some tremendous things, right, in order to learn something new. Now, I don't discredit being in rooms with those that are at another uh, other levels like I definitely don't discredit that but how do we how do we keep the focus and attention on making sure we're learning from everyone in every experience versus just trying to constantly seek and chase that next level breakfast table yeah I mean I, I thanks thank you Glenn uh, thanks for what you've created here um, for me, I ask the question, you know, 10 or 20 times a day, what am I supposed to learn from this? And um, for me, there's been a, a real process since age 28. When I, uh, at age 28, I almost shut down my business. Now, I, I ultimately created 52 boutique hotels with my team, but I only had one hotel at that point. And, um, I was curious about like what I was supposed to learn because I was like, I was so frustrated with my staff. I was not learning anything from them because I, I thought they were all just, you know, really stupid at that point because the business was having trouble. We, the Loma Prieta earthquake had happened. We were running out of cash. And so I pulled out a book, a, a journal that, uh, that uh, someone had given me just to be a, like a personal emotional journal. And I wrote on the cover of that journal, my wisdom book. And I created a practice whereby every weekend from that day forward, and I still do it now, 33 years later, um, I write a series of bullet points about what I learned that week and from whom. Um, it, because in some cases, 
Yeah, it was just my own personal learning. I didn't learn it from anybody, but in other cases, I learned it from someone else. And so I, I would make maybe four to eight different bullet points. And it was, not, not, it was not like a personal journal where you're talking about all your emotions. It was more like a little more strategic, a little more tactical, a little bit more, you know, surgical of saying, what did I learn this week? And that process of asking myself, what did I learn and who did I learn it from, in essence, became my way of distilling my wisdom and accelerating it. And frankly, when I went through the dot-com bust in 9-11, I would go back to, you know, one of my early wisdom books and say, okay, I'm going through a tough time again. What did I learn back then in case I hadn't metabolized it yet? So it is when, I think it's when you're in that, you have that spirit of constant learning. Um, I call it not lifelong learning. I call it long life learning <laughs> because I'm planning to ha on having a long life. And I think, you know, the learning that I want to have at age 61 is different than what I had at age 30. So uh, long story short is when you have that kind of, those kind of antenna out there and then you metabolize it every weekend, I think it means that you're willing to listen to someone who doesn't sound like they know what they're talking about to see within it, is there some wisdom there? Um, and I, I can tell you that sometimes the greatest things I heard were not in the first five minutes of listening to that person, but I'm glad I listened beyond the first five minutes because the, the gem was about eight or nine minutes into the conversation. Yeah, I think that's beautiful, man. Realizing the, the greatest things that I learned are not always in the first five minutes and really giving it time to develop and seeking the wisdom and understanding from every interaction and experience. I think that's beautiful wisdom, Chip. Pleasure, pleasure, Thank pleasure you. to hear from you today. Thank that's you, that patient thing, Glenn, that I guess I have to work on because <laughs> I really want to do <laughs> five or six minutes. Um, yeah. I, anybody else on stage? Well, um, and again, please go through to my Instagram. Uh, just DM me the word ship um, and we will send out our complimentary uh, books uh, and please, please, please follow, follow, follow Chip here on all platforms. Um, lean into wisdom at work. Um, we want to hear what you have to say about the book. Um, I'm definitely trying to figure out how we get to Baja because that is definitely something that the Genius Institute is uh, interested in. Uh, any other questions coming from the other mods on stage? Oh, don't pretend we're a shy group because that's not true. <laughs> Amelia, this is Monica. Can you hear me? I can, yes. ma'am. Welcome. Hi. I always love your segments. You always bring the best guests, and I appreciate it. Chip, it is such an honor to be on stage with you, sir. I know your work. And I spent you. 20 – oh, you're certainly welcome. I spent 20 years in hospitality in hotels and restaurants before my other 20-year career <laughs> – in productivity and organization. And what I will say is exactly what I think so many people who have spent time in hospitality need to hear because hospitality is a field that is very often not looked at as, as a profession. It's looked at as a job. And the important part is that you can learn incredible, incredible life and business lessons in hospitality. I learned so much about how, not only how to treat people, but how to anticipate problems, how to respond quickly, how to manage priorities, how to handle multiple projects at once. I mean, the list goes on and on. In fact, I think I might create a keynote. <laughs> but I just want to, I want 
to encourage anyone who is searching for something next to explore hospitality in some fashion because it is a tremendously valuable, rewarding job, career, and profession. This is Monica, and I'm done. Thank you, Monica. I couldn't say it any better. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I love I love a profession where you can say by by doing good in that profession, I become a better person as well. And uh, and you know, we also we also live in an entrepreneurial era around hospitality with Airbnb, whether it's Airbnb being a host uh, for with a home or an Airbnb experience. Um, you know, that was really one of the things that Brian and I. Uh, talked about is how do we create a new career path for people so that they can be an entrepreneur in the hospitality business without having to buy a hotel or create a bed and breakfast. Um, you know, so it, it opened up a lot more people to do that. And so, I, you know, one of my roles at Airbnb was to be in charge of all the hosts around the world. So, um, man, that was an exciting experience because to see the level of how do you, how is a person a host in Sweden? Uh, was maybe different than how it was in Mexico City, um, but it, there was a commonality, which was a, a real appreciation for humans. So thank you, Monica. And that is a feat within itself, right? How You know, I struggle with that all the time as a CEO, <laughs> is how to be able to bring the supported information, you know, the processes, the procedures, the learning to people that are so, so different, but we're trying to drive them to the same outcome. So with Airbnb, I can't even imagine how to be able to bring the same experience. <clears throat> yeah, to, let me say this. Um, and I know we're going to wrap in a, mo in a moment, but let me just say one of my curiosities <clears throat> when I joined Airbnb was like, okay, Brian said to me, Chip, well, we want to go mainstream. And I said, well, we got to work on quality. We got to work on, you know, the, the dependability or <clears throat> not consistency because we'll never be consistent across all of our hosts, but, but um, we need to be dependable. And uh, so the process of using psychology, which is most of my books have had some element of psychology woven into them. Uh, the process of using psychology to understand incentives and how do you actually incentivize um, our host community to do the right thing when it comes to hosting was fascinating. I really did have to use, I have a PhD in psychology, just an honorary doctorate, <laughs> not because I did, not because I took, uh, took the classes, but because I've written a lot of books on psychology and business. And so, um, you know, universities like that because I'm, a, I'm a sort of a practical applier of psychology. And so I really had to use that because how do you help people who are doing it uh, as a host part-time offer the best experience possible when, when we were not allowed to train them either in any formal training because then they would potentially become employees. And we, we wanted to make sure that they were independent contractors. So long story short is I'm very proud of that because when I joined Airbnb, the level of uh, customer satisfaction with our host was about 50% lower than the hotel industry. And when I left Airbnb, it was 50% higher. And that is part of the reason why Airbnb has succeeded. Yes, there are terrible stories of people having a bad experience on Airbnb. Um, you probably, you know, the standard deviation of your experience in Airbnb will be much wider than for a hotel, meaning you will have the best experience of your life or the worst experience of your life. I, I just, I say that, you know, because I think it's honest, but the truth is um, over time, what we got great at was to have more of those best experiences of your life, people, and then, you know, people go out and tell each other about the, the platform. And, and that's part of the reason why Airbnb is the most valuable hospitality brand in the world today. 
I love that. And that, I mean, you're, again, you're just singing my song here. You know, I'm a behaviorist at the root. I, I people forget mm. when they read my resume, you know, cause they see my, me being a CEO, I, you have to understand the baseline of where I always come from and is as a behaviorist, right? That psychology. And, um, you know, one of the quotes I say over and over again, every single thing between where you are and where you want to be is a behavior. It's not time, it's not money, it's not resources, it's a behavior. And the building of Genius Key was because Genius Key does exactly that. It shows you the root of the belief of what is stopping you from whatever you said is the A and the B destination. And, and it mm. was just because I spent so much time helping people understand that what they thought the problem was, right? So this is every customer, every client, right? What they think the problem is, is really not what the problem is, but how do you become a mirror for somebody quickly so they can see where they're rooted and then from there the work can begin. So again, I, I cannot thank you enough, especially for getting up um, on the West Coast, which is ridiculously early. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you for everything that you've done in my life. I absolutely positively will reach out to you because I definitely think that that the Genius Circle needs to come um, to mm -hmm. one of your facilities um, because I think we will grow as a team and as a circle so we can better serve others. So thank you. And yes, you will see me again. Whether you like it or not, I'm going to stalk you. Um, <laughs> I like that. Thank you, Amelia. Oh, listen, you, I just, I'm just, I'm so blessed by you. I am so blessed. Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.